Hello, Gold Avenue Church. This is Pastor Jalisa here with you again this week as we continue in our sermon series called The Blessed Hope. Today we continue on in the series of teachings that Jesus gives us in the end of Matthew regarding the end times, his return, and our role in preparing for that day. And so today we're going to keep going and we're in Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read verses 14 to 30. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, and we thank you for your heart that longs for us all to be ready for your return. And so today we pray that you would soften our hearts in any way necessary Holy Spirit, that you would come and illumine our spirits, Lord, and that you would draw us into obedience and draw us into readiness. We ask that you would anoint the preaching of this word, that you would anoint our ears to hear, God, and that you would be glorified. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid 
and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but this past weekend was kind of a big deal. The Hallmark Channel officially launched this year's Countdown to Christmas movie movie marathon. Now, this means that from now until Christmas, Hallmark will be releasing a steady stream of romantic holiday movies. This is a much bigger deal for some of us than it is for others, I'm aware, and this is not an official endorsement, I assure you. But along with the official countdown to Christmas, I couldn't help but notice a slow trickle of holiday ads into my mailbox and my media feeds. I was in Meyer the other day and I noticed that all the fall stuff was on clearance now and the aisles are starting to turn red and green. It's that time of year when we start to think about gifts. I don't know if you've started Christmas shopping yet or not, but I have not. But we start to pay attention to what the kids in our lives are really into. What games are they playing? What colors do they like? We pay attention to what our loved ones would like. We listen for those subtle hints as to what they'd really love to receive for Christmas. Many of us love to give gifts. I love to give gifts. And I think that one of the greatest pleasures of this life is to see our loved ones really like a gift that we've carefully chosen or even made ourselves and have given them. It's so good to see kids open up that present that you picked and just be so excited about it and play with it for hours. Or when you see your friend wearing that sweater or scarf or pair of earrings that you picked out. It's such a gift to have our gifts given, received. When the master, in our parable for this message, gave gifts to his servants, he intended, like we all do when we give gifts, for them to be enjoyed and used. He intended for them to be received and put to work. But you might be asking at this point, what do gifts have to do with being prepared for the return of Jesus? What point is Jesus making with a story about gifts? So we've got a master here, and he's a very wealthy master that's going on a trip. 
Now, it wouldn't be wise for a person to travel with eight bags of gold on their person. We probably don't go to the airport with our life savings in our pockets. At least I hope I hope we don't. That probably wouldn't be wise. But this master does something that's actually quite wise. And as I read, it's actually common for this time period. He took his wealth and he divided it among his most trusted servants with the expectation that what he'd given and left behind would multiply. This wasn't just a means of keeping all of his money safe. If that was his goal, he would have just taken it to the bank. The intent here was an investment. Now, I'm not an investment person, like a banker, so I had to look this up, but an investment is defined as spending with the expectation of increase and success. The master expected increase and success when he divided his fortune out among his servants. Now, it's interesting that the master doesn't divide his fortune out equally. You know, he doesn't just take it and divide it out 2.6 bags per each and call it good. Text says that each servant was given according to his ability. But that word ability is so much more. The Greek word here is a word that might be familiar to some of us. It's the word dunamis. Dunamis is also translated as power. And as I dug a little deeper, I read that dunamis has to do with character, the very fiber of a person's soul. As one definition put it, dunamis is inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature as it responds to God. Dunamis is excellence of the soul. I just love that. So the master awarded his servants according to the measure of their dunamis. To one was given five bags of gold or talents. Whatever your translation says, we're talking about large sums of money. So to the first was given five, to the second servant was given two bags of gold, and to the third, only one was given. Now it's important to note that obviously five bags of money is a lot more money than one bag of money, but that one bag of money was still worth a lot. Based on the reference here, that one bag would have likely taken an average day laborer 20 years to earn. So one bag is worth 20 years of labor. They're all given a lot. So the first two servants immediately take what they've been given and they put it to work. Now, whether they invested or traded, we don't, we don't know what they did with their money, but we know that they immediately put it to work and that they promptly doubled what their master had invested. But that's not what happened with the third. The third servant took that bag of money and he dug a hole in the ground and he buried it. It doesn't sound bad. He didn't squander it or spend it on himself. He just acted like it didn't exist. And then after a long time, it says, the master comes back. And he calls his servants to him and he asks this question. So servants, 
What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? After the first two servants were praised and rewarded for doubling their master's investment, the third servant comes forward to give his account. Master, he says, I know that you're a hard man and that you make much. You even harvest in places where you have not sown, and so I was afraid. I didn't want to disappoint you, so I hid your gold so that when you came back, I could give you back every cent. What he's really saying is, Master, you're such a powerful guy. You make so much money that I didn't think you needed me or my effort. I didn't think that anything that I could do with what you gave me would be of value to you. And I was afraid of losing what you gave me. So I just buried it. Why didn't you take it to the bank? The master responds. I gave it to be used. If you weren't going to risk or use what I'd given you, if you weren't going to try to use it and invest it, the least that you could have done was give it to someone who would. And with one sweep, the master takes his single bag of gold back and he tosses it to the first. And he throws that lazy servant out of the door and into the darkness where the text actually gets quite dark and says that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The servant has been found guilty of being afraid and of being lazy. Now, we might not think of fear or laziness as sins. You know, it's not like the top 10 wicked lists that we think of in our heads. But there were obviously severe consequences for the servant who mistrusted his master's character and who failed to use the gift that he'd been given. As we said before, it's actually a gift to see the gifts that we've given, delighted in, and used. But it can also be heartbreaking to give a gift that isn't appreciated or used. Has that ever happened to you where you work really hard to pick out what you think is the perfect gift and you wrap it up and you give it with so much excitement? And as the person opens it, they just kind of smile and say thanks and set it aside. It hurts. It's really disappointing. Other times we give gifts that are loved or even cherished, but they aren't used. And that's hard too. Some gifts are held too closely. Beautiful sweaters hang in closets with tags still attached because people are afraid of making them snag or not using them on the right occasion. Beautiful vases and bowls or candles are set high on shelves because people don't want to break them or waste them. Gifts are never intended to be left in their boxes or set on shelves. Gifts are meant to be unwrapped, examined, delighted in, used. Gifts are meant to be spread around and received by more than just the person receiving. And they're meant to be received with the joy and the love from which they were originally given. Our God is a giver of good gifts. He pours out gifts of music 
and worship and creativity, gifts of hospitality and compassion, preaching, teaching and exhortation, gifts of encouragement, mercy, faith, discernment, intercession, wisdom, administration, gifts of prophecy, dreams and visions and tongues, gifts of evangelism, gifts of time, talent and money, just to name a few. And you know what? The Lord gives gifts to all of his children. First Corinthians 12 tells us that to each a measure of God's spirit is given. We all get something. And each gift given, even if it's just one or feels small, is of tremendous value to the kingdom. All are meant to be used. Sometimes we're given gifts that we don't really want. I have a friend with gifts of prophecy, but on more than one occasion I've heard her say, I don't want that one. It's too hard. I don't want to have to know that or say that or steward that. Sometimes we're given one gift when really we might prefer a different gift. There are gifted teachers or preachers who would prefer to quietly serve in administration or give of their time and money instead. There are gifted intercessors who have their hearts set on the platform given to teachers and preachers and would prefer those gifts over the ones that have been given. Sometimes we see and we actually appreciate our gifts. We take delight in them, but we leave them on the shelf because we're afraid of using them. Sometimes we're afraid of using them wrong or failing. Sometimes we fear the time or the work or even the humility it will take to grow into understanding and using the gifts that we've been given well. We fear what it might cost us to use them, the time, the energy, and even the emotion. We might be afraid that we'll disappoint our leaders and peers and even our master. And we're afraid that if we use what we already have, that we might miss our shot at the gift or option that we really want. Other times, we're so convinced that what we've been given couldn't possibly make a difference. So we just pretend it doesn't exist. We buy into the lie that we've got nothing of value to give and that certainly our all-powerful and sovereign God can handle it without us. So we just don't offer what we've been given. Still other times we have yet to unwrap what's been given. We aren't even sure of what our gifts are, much less how he would have us use them. And in all of these cases, we take the priceless gift of gold that we've been given. And rather than open it up and examine it, rather than take a risk and put it to work, rather than invest it into the kingdom of God, we dig a hole and we bury it. Like it never existed. Friends, scripture makes clear that there will come a day when our master will return. And when he comes, he will want to know what we've done with what he's given. Each one will have to stand before him individually and give an account. Again, we might not think of fear or laziness as sins. At least we can give back exactly what we were given But each one of us has been given gifts and purposes to be used 
And there will be consequences for not using what God has given. As the famous theologian Charles Spurgeon said when he preached on this text, Remember, my hearer, that in the day of judgment, thy account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He will ask you what you did. If we never discover our gifts, if we don't put them to use, if we don't sow them back into the kingdom of God like he intended, we will be unprepared for our master's return. We won't have a good account to give. What was given to us and what we wasted will be taken away. It will be given to someone who will use it. And there will be consequences. As one commentator put it, some think that readiness for Jesus' return is a very spiritual and abstract thing. It really isn't. It's a matter of being about our Lord's business. In light of this parable, we must ask ourselves, what have we done with our knowledge, our time, our money, our abilities? The sins of omission, meaning the things that we don't do, may ultimately be just as dangerous as the sins of commission, the sins that we actually do. And this is precisely why Jesus told this parable. As we noted before, this is one parable in a string of many, taught to prepare us for the return of our king. A string of parables given to help us to be ready and to not be caught off guard. Like a parent who gives a child to the count of three and helpful choices to correct behavior, our God wants us to be ready. He wants us to live into the purpose that he's given. He wants us to be prepared. Just as there's a note of hell in the master's pronouncement of judgment, that whole weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's also a note of heaven in the rewards given to the faithful first two servants. As they each present their master with their doubled investment, the master responds to both. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness More literally, it says, come enter into the joy of your Lord. So good. Notice that the reward is not difference between, it's, it's not different between the two. It doesn't matter to the master that the first servant brought back literally double what the second did. What matters is their character, their perseverance, their dunamis, the reality that they took that which had been given and promptly invested it for the sake of their Lord. They didn't hide or ignore what they'd been given. They weren't too scared to use that. The second servant wasn't jealous that the first had been given more, and the first servant doesn't brag to the second about how big his gift is. They don't squander it away. They don't spend it on themselves. 
Each one put what they'd been given to good use. They doubled it, and then they presented it to their Lord. And in response, they're given more. In response, they have the enormous privilege of entering into the joy of their Lord. Now, as humans, it's hard to give perfect gifts. But our God is a giver of good gifts. He knows each one of us better than we even know ourselves. And he knows exactly what gifts we need and in what measure. God doesn't do white elephant or gag gifts. He doesn't give us stinky candles, itchy socks, ugly sweaters that don't fit, or toys without batteries. He gives us exactly what we need to accomplish the purposes that he's made us for. And the more we use our gifts, the more gifts we're given. Like a kid given a complicated building set or their first two-wheeled bike for Christmas, the gifts that we've been given might require some teaching and learning to know how to use them. They might even require bumps and bruises before we really understand how to use them well. But our God is good. He gives gifts that will breathe life into our dry bones. He gives gifts that will make our souls sing. And he gives us gifts that will build up the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. The servants were given gifts according to their dunamis the excellence of their souls. And when they used those gifts, they were given more. So when using their gifts, their dunamis grows. The excellence of their souls grow as they use what's been given and then are given more. Friends, our God gives us gifts that when used will bless us. But he also gives gifts that when used will help to make a way for his return. Gifts that will prepare us to be able to stand in front of our Lord on the day that he returns and hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in the joy of your Lord. So friends, today, I don't know where you're at on the gift spectrum. Maybe you're not sure about your gifts yet. You've got to unwrap them. Maybe you put a few on the shelf out of fear or even reverence. Maybe you've even tried to bring a gift back to return it because you'd prefer a different one. Maybe you've been using your gifts and you want to ask for more. Wherever you're at today, I believe the Lord longs to meet you in that place today as the giver of good gifts. So I'm going to close this in prayer like we normally do, but I'm not going to say amen. I'm going to enter into prayer and welcome us in, and then I'm going to leave some open space. And I want to strongly invite each of you to not let the moment pass. If you can, take a minute 
Ask the Lord what he has to say to you today about gifts that he's given, gifts that he wants to give, or how he wants you to use the gifts that he's given. And if now isn't a good time, that's okay. Come back to it later. I'd also like to encourage each one of us to call a brother or sister in Christ. This is something that's done well in the body. Call a brother or sister to share what the Lord is doing through this word and ask them to pray with you. And so with that, let's pray. Father, I'm amazed at your tremendous goodness. God, I praise you that you give gifts, that you give good gifts that are good for your whole body or that accomplish good purposes. God, and that your gifts, when used, come with joy. God, we praise you that we get to enter into the joy of you, our Lord, as we use the gifts that have been given. And so, Lord, I pray for each one listening. Lord, would you highlight for each one what gift you've given, what gifts you've given, Lord, and how you would have each one to use what you've given. God, I ask that in this moment, we would not be afraid. Lord, that we would look to you and see you as the giver of good gifts. God, and that you would equip and empower each one of us to live lives of readiness and to live lives as you intended. So come Holy Spirit and speak to each one.